0: a fresh take on what's going on with the Saints
1: LSU the betting world and the NFL then you picked the right place. Jim Derry has plenty of datitude, and he's ready to tell you the way it is or the way he thinks it is. Where you at New Orleans And hello to all my friends wherever you might be. On this dreary Wednesday, the humidity's back, y'all. I was getting oh you know, you, you get used to this this beautiful weather that lasts for a couple days and you say, All right, everything's changing. It's gonna be cool, and you walk outside and you go, Ugh. Welcome to Datitude, episode number eleven. For a Wednesday, October 20th, 2021, I am Jim Derry, sports betting writer at the Advocate of the times Union at bet.nola.com. Ever have one of those ugh kind of starts to a day? It wasn't just the weather. Today certainly fits that mold. First, I oversleep, little one misses the bus, so I'm going to drive her to school, no problem, right? You know? Except she wakes up and within 30 seconds she's bawling so bad I can't understand a word she's saying. You know, it turns out Mama moved one of her drawings she had made up for a teacher, a birthday present. Oh no, I'm sorry, it was a birthday present for one of her friends. That's what it was. It was loose in her bag. And, and that's how she put it. She put it loose in her bag and mama moved it to her folder. She did not want it in the folder. It's the end of the world. I'm assuming, you know, most of you listen and have kids and you get where I'm coming from. Those of you who have kids who have grown up, just put yourself back in those days. Catastrophe. You know, when I was single and I, I thought about the day I would be married and have children, you know. I always thought I wanted a house full of boys, going to ball games, coaching Little League. You know, then I met my wife and she already had a seven year old son who soon became, you know, I considered my own very shortly after we got together. I lived the ballpark life with him, you know, and then you know, God has graced me with two girls, so now I'm outnumbered. My son's twenty three, he's moved on, and I live in a house full of females. of the time, I love it. 100% of the time, I wouldn't have it any other way. But some days, some mornings, ouch. You know, if if things aren't in the right place, or we can't find the right blanket, or not that shirt, or the dog ate Barbie's hair, well, you get it. Everything is a gosh darn tragedy. So that's how this morning started if I have to deal with it, you have to deal with it. And to top it off, I got the funk. I get every single October when we get our first cool snap, as much as I love cool weather. But that first cool snap, sinus and throat feel like someone blew up a balloon inside of there, and I can't pop it. It's fun stuff. So we started the show with the Let's Get Personal segment. I hope you're all better for it. If I can't share it with my friends, who can I share it with? In just a few minutes, we will talk to football analyst Mike Detillier of WWL Radio and SaintsReport.com about what else. Saints coming off their bye week, going to Seattle for the Monday night matchup with the Seabags, the fallout from Coach O and the bombshell this past weekend. Mike Detillier knows Coach O better than anyone I could have on this show. So, um, and look, he is, I thought it, it was it was in, it was maybe the greatest interview we've had on this early, uh, the infancy of this podcast. Um, we had some good ones. We've had some really good ones, but you know I thought I was going to have a thirty forty minute segment with Mike, and it ended up being an hour and a half. So, um, you know, I hope you have time to listen to the thing because it's the whole thing is great. You know, listening to me for more than ten or fifteen minutes would probably turn people on to some other podcast, but. Mike Detillier is fantastic, so make sure you you have some time, whether you listen to it over a day or two. That's the good thing about podcasts. Uh, they can sometimes go a half an hour. They can go an hour and a half. They can go however long we want it to go in this one. I wasn't going to stop him from talking. We did a, three big questions, and I thought that was going to be the end of the show, and I think we talked another half an hour after that. So uh, great interview. I, I truly thank Mike for coming on when, you know, He's doing all kinds of shows he's got his own thing going on, and, like a lot of my guests um, you know they they spend more time with me than I expect and I truly appreciate it the saints um interesting game we'll talk about that in a in a little bit. We were scheduled to have David Grubb on this morning to talk pelicans, but David had a family issue. uh We certainly hope everything's okay with that. We'll check in with him very soon um so I, I look, this is a football centric show. It is. It's gonna be even in the offseason, we'll probably talk, you know, way more football than we'll talk about anything else. But I do want to touch on the Pels. Their opener tonight, the Smoothie King Center, uh, with the Philadelphia 76ers. The, this morning at no on Nola dot com, the Tom Spikino offered a season preview, which you should check out. It's aptly enough titled New Orleans Pelican Season Preview. Everything you need to know about a pivotal twenty twenty-one. 22. It's weird to say that. 2021-22. Okay, I can count. That is weird. 2021-22. That's what it is. It's the 2021-22 season. You know, the Sixers are a bit of a mess, too. In fact, they might be more of a mess than the Pelicans. So maybe it's a perfect opener. Ben Simmons, the former one-and-done LSU player, was suspended for tonight's opener for, quote, Conduct detrimental to the team, unquote. We've heard that before. Coach Doc Rivers says he hopes Simmons gets his act together and wants to come back. Just walked out of practice. Um, I think Doc told him to walk out of practice, but I think he was leaving anyway. Joel Embiid said he really doesn't care whether Simmons comes back or not. That is a mess. I mean, but it's no problem for Philly, right? He's only got four years and $147 million left on his contract. You know, if it doesn't work out, it should be easy to move him, right? So, someone will take on that $147 million for a disgruntled player. See, we're not the only ones. But at least Simmons is healthy, if and when he decides to come back. You know, for the for the Pels, we don't know when Zion is coming back with his fractured foot. You know, first it was sprung on the media. He had surgery in the offseason, but... They thought he could be back in time for tonight's opener. That was a lie, dude. Flat out lie. No other way to put it. It was a lie. They couldn't have possibly thought he was going to be back. Now it looks like he'll miss weeks. He's clearly out of shape. I mean, it's easy to be out of shape in this town, but he's clearly out of shape. What's the best case for him to come back? Thanksgiving? Christmas? When When he comes back? Um, how long is it going to take before he's playing what the Pels need him to play? A month? What are they going to do? Do the same thing they did a couple years ago, and he comes in for four minutes a quarter, and by God, when those four minutes are over, he's out. Not playing anymore. He's played his four minutes. We'll figure out what, what four minutes he's going to play. That's going to happen. It's going to be a mess. You know, who knows? And no one at the Pelicans is being upfront about it. That's how the NBA often works. It's, un, it's so different than the NFL and baseball. No one has to be upfront about injuries. That needs to change. And I talked about it with Zach Ewan the other day on um, the Odds and Ends Show Monday. It needs to change. The NBA needs to be transparent about injuries. I mean, we live in a betting world, these big leagues. Or embracing the betting world now. Remember when, and that, that's why it's, I mean, not to go off on a tangent and, and I digress, but that's why it's absurd that Pete Rose is not allowed to be in the Hall of Fame or have anything to do with baseball anymore. It's time to end the lifetime ban. It was time 10 years ago. But these, these leagues are embracing the betting world. And if you're going to do that, be transparent. Oh, so who knows what we're going to see in early on? I've made it clear how much I'm optimistic about Willie Green, a young coach, a disciple of Monty Williams, whom I have a ton of respect for. He's coming into a tough situation. The players can relate to him. We'll see what happens early on. I am the, of the belief that we will see in the first two, what we see in the first two weeks usually a good indicator of how the season will go, not necessarily whether they win or lose, but how they look. You know, the eye test is usually. All we need. So we will certainly revisit the Pels in the near future. We'll be watching it tonight. We'll talk more about them next week, I'm sure. The early part of the schedule isn't that bad. After tonight, they travel to Chicago on Friday and Minnesota on Saturday. Then they come home and have a four-game home stand with the Timberwolves, Atlanta Hawks, Sacramento Kings, and the New York Knicks. So we're going to try... Something on Monday, I mean Friday, excuse me. So we probably won't talk much about the Pels on Friday. But we will next week, Monday, and Wednesday. I don't know who my guests are going to be just yet. But Friday is going to be, we're going to call it Five Star Friday. It's going to be all about our best bets in the upcoming football weekend. We were supposed to have the debut of Uncle Big Nick, who is a college football pick and savant. Although you wouldn't have known about, we recorded a segment. I just, I had so many things going on Friday we never put it on the air. But we're going to count those picks. And they weren't that good. But, you know, we're going to be transparent, unlike the NBA. And so, Fridays will be all about making you money. We're going to have Conductor Dave back, moving back to Fridays for our NFL picks segment. So, and whatever NFL picks we don't touch in either the Uncle Big Nick segment or with Conductor Dave, I'm going to touch on every one of them. Also, at the end of today's show... I'll give you my Thursday night football pick since we're not going to be on again before then. Broncos and Browns snooze. It's already been announced that Baker Mayfield will not play for the Browns. They're already out with Nick Chubb's out, Kareem Hunt's out. They're a mess. We're going to talk about that in a little bit, but I, again, I uh, do want to bring in my guest for today. But first, here's your reminder that you can email me at jderry@theadvocate.com on Twitter at Jim Derry Jr. You can listen to this podcast in multiple places, wherever you're listening now, obviously, on betnoah.com, SoundCloud, Spotify, Google Play, Stitcher, Apple Podcasts, wherever you get your podcast, just search for Datitude. And make sure to subscribe. That is the key. You'll always know when we have new episodes. Monday, Wednesdays, and Fridays. Mondays and Wednesdays. We will have guests who will do, be doing most of the talking. They will talk about Saints, uh, NFL, LSU, and Pelicans. And at times, Tulane. And at times, other things, whatever is going on at that time. Right now, it's football season. Again, we're going to talk mostly about football going forward. At least until, I don't know, December, January, whenever our teams decide to fizzle out. I want to give a shout out to Caesar Sportsbook, who is an exclusive partner with us at the Advocate, of the Times, McCune, and bet.nola.com. Again, sports betting coming to Harris any day now. You believe that, Ronnie Millsap? That's what I hear. I'm going to believe it. Videos on Bet.nola.com, Odds and Ends on Monday with Zach, Devin Jackson, and myself. Fantasy Roundup on Tuesdays with Zach and Spencer, the guru, Urquhart. And on Thursdays, don't miss it, at the book featuring Cashing In with Carville. James Carville segment, it's a must listen. That dude has got some stuff going on. It's not about politics. It's about sports and local sports, mostly he will tell you what he thinks about LSU football, and he is got some LSU garb in his house for show. Zach, Devin, and myself uh, hosting that show, and we talk about it. we review our picks from the week a little bit, but it's mostly about the weekend coming up, like we'll do here on Five Star Friday. But let's get to our segment with Mike D'Antilly, and uh, you know I love talking about Mike, not just about what's going on now, but Mike is. Look, he's a historian even more than I did, more than I am. I like to live in the past. I'm not ashamed to say it. I remember a lot of things that's useless knowledge in my head. That's why I'm great friends and partner with Jim Rapier, who is my, my broadcast partner on Friday nights, because nobody has more useless knowledge in his head than Jim Rapier. And Mike Detelier has got a lot of that, too. But it, it correlates The history. History always correlates to the present, right? I think it does. And so Mike brings that with him and um, we'll get to it. Let's hear what he has to say. On the Datitude podcast this morning, Mike Dettillier of WWL Radio Football Analyst Extraordinaire and of SaintsReport.com. Mike, uh, we certainly thank you for joining the podcast this morning.
0: My pleasure. Great to be on you.
1: Um, Mike, I want to pick your brain first off a little bit about LSU. And, uh, you know, it's such a strange situation. This has been a whirlwind of a week for the Tigers. And, and obviously, all the things that, you know, we, we've heard about Coach O, and we both know Coach O uh, fairly well. You probably know him a little bit better than I do. I covered his sons at Mandeville and got to know him a little bit. But, you know, what I want to know from you is the recruiting situation, first off, you know, all the players that are out for the rest of the season and aren't coming back, Kenyon Bute, Andre Anthony, Uh, Now we hit Corumores joining going into the portal, Uh, a host of other players, guys that are probably going to play in the NFL, uh, and some of them are going to be high round draft picks. But now you know you got Jacoby Matthews at Ponchatoula, who already who a couple months ago said he was decommitting from LSU. Andre Anthony, Aaron Anthony, uh, uh, Aaron Anderson. I'll get it right eventually. Of Carr um, earlier this week said he's not. You know he's going to might change his mind. He's decommitted. How do the Tigers get back to where
0: they were just a year ago? Well, it's going to be difficult. And, uh, yeah, uh, you know, growing up on the Bayou, uh, we didn't go to the same school because, um, you know, the way the school districts are are, are kind of mapped out. Uh, He lives south of the intercoastal canal. I live north of it. But um, we've probably known each other close to 50 years. so. Uh, you know, it, it's a difficult situation. It goes to show you a little bit about um, very few people can handle success very well and, and, and didn't handle it well. Uh, and it, uh, it, he paid the price. Now, again, he getting paid $17 million. So as I've told him, I don't feel too bad for you, uh, you know, 17 million clams. So, uh, but I think, Uh, You know, he feels disappointed that he left down the people, you know, he sort of grew up with here on the Bayou, Louisiana, LSU, and that he could not uh, recapture that magic of 2019. The recruiting point's a tricky issue uh, because we all know you might say, I'm going to the school because it is who they are. But a lot of times it has to do with relationships that you've made with assistant coaches and head coaches. So, you know, okay, this staff isn't going to be here next year. He's not going to be here next year. So, man, that's a tricky issue. You can say I'll go out and call him and try to recruit him to LSU and come here because it is LSU. But, you know, if other schools, if it's Texas A&M, if it's Alabama, you name it, are going to sell, hey, listen, we got stability here come here instead. And you're not that far away. Mom and dad can still come visit you. Uh, you know, if you've got girlfriend or whatever, they can still come visit you here. That is going to be a tricky sort of U-turn here. And what I think will happen is, as soon as the final game of the season is over with, that Sunday following it, you will have the new head coach at LSU. I, I think it'll be very rapid very quickly, that as soon as the regular season's over with, the Sunday after that game on the Saturday, it's it. The new coach will be hauled out and you'll have
1: Is it possible that it happens even before that, Mike? I mean, obviously, you doubt it. You doubt it.
0: I doubt it. Only because I think that coach is coaching somewhere in college football and he's not going to leave his team early. So I, I really believe that... They will have something in place very quickly, and it'll be uh, it'll be the Sunday after the final regular season game on a Saturday.
1: How hard is it going to be for Ed? To, I mean, he says all the right things that he's going to be part of the recruiting process, trying to get these kids to to come to LSU. The ones that already said that they were into, committed and. And look, just because they decommit doesn't mean they're not going to LSU. That's what people Correct. might not understand. I mean, I- I've known Jacoby since he was in 8th grade, and I still think there's an excellent chance that he goes to LSU. Hank uh, Tierney has is, is told me as much. I've known Hank since I was in high school. Um, so it doesn't mean that he's not going there. Uh, Aaron Anderson is an unbelievable talent. I've watched him at Carson since he was a freshman. Yeah. Um, he may be... I mean, for kids that don't for people that don't watch high school football, I mean, this kid has got speed like maybe no other in the state. So to have just those two kids would, would make a big impact on other recruits, I think, as well. But how hard is it going to be for Ed to, to have his heart into keep trying to get these kids to come to Baton Rouge?
0: Listen, uh, I do know him this way. Um, <laughs> he's one of the t- toughest dudes i ever seen in my life, and he will work his tail off to do it. Um, all his life, I I never heard him talk, even though he was a great high school player, I never heard him talk about playing in the pros. All I ever heard him talk about was he wanted to be a head coach one day. And that where he wanted to be a head coach was LSU. So I think his heart's still into it. Uh, Now, is the young man going to be swayed by others that's the big question mark. Because I don't question Ed and the staff recruiting. What I question is other people, other teams, other coaches saying, hey, you have stability here. You know who your position coach is going to be. You know who your head coach is going to be. And that goes a long way. Again, relationships, and you understand it very well, has a lot to do with the head coach and your position coach, the guy that's recruiting you. LSU doesn't have that right now. So I think they got to do something very quickly, very fast when they have that opportunity.
1: One thing I've always heard about Coach O, and I've heard so many stories about back in the day when you guys were going to high school, but um, (laughs) he has always been a super loyal dude. And if you crossed one of his friends, um, you better watch out. (laughs) Yeah, I
0: um, he's sort of protective of people, and uh you know that that's just his nature. I think that's the nature of people you know listen, we might fuss and fight here on the Bayou, but you know if something happens, then you know you're gonna fight all of us, so to speak and, and that's that's just the way Ed is. He's always been super loyal if I've ever asked him to uh do something for a charity event or to speak somewhere. It was difficult for him to tell me no. I mean, a couple of times he did, but I would say nine out of ten, he was, "Hey, I'll do it, boy. Don't worry about it. I got it. I got it. I got it. Just let me know." And uh, uh, you know, he' on his way, and that, that's just the way he is. Uh, we uh, made a decision when I got hired full time on at WWL. They asked me, "You think he would come on weekly on WWL?" And so I texted him at first, and then he sends me. text right back hey give me a call and uh we thought we could maybe do it on a monday and he said you know just because of scheduling and the way they work things uh on monday couldn't do but he said i'll do it on tuesday i said okay is he said just send me just send me a text every tuesday reminder but i'll do it it was no hesitation and so that that's just the way he is uh as a person and uh, he might have fault. Listen, we all got faults. We all do things we shouldn't do. And uh, I think when this is all settled, I think he'll admit that, that his part of handling success was not very good. But, man, he's a loyal cat. He really is. He's a loyal, loyal guy uh, to people that have been around him a long time.
1: What does uh, an old boy from down to Bayou do with $16.5 million?
0: well he's cheap he's not as cheap <laughs> as they bear but he's tight with his money dude uh, yeah you know uh, five years from now uh, i'll tell you he, i bet he got every nickel of that 16, <laughs> and a half, million bucks uh now i might be a little bit different I, I might do something here and there but uh no one thing with ed uh he's always been uh, i'll use the term frugal with his money frugal. this is the guy i'm uh, uh he was at Northwestern as a coach. He was not getting paid. Uh, you know, I think the coaches were giving him a few dollars here and there just to kind of keep him rolling. He was sleeping. Uh, they had thrown out two uh, mattresses uh, from a sorority. He went and picked it up and put it in the weight room, and that's where he was sleeping.
1: That, that, just, I, that That's crazy. I mean, but... It's
0: unbelievable. But... Because yeah, I... Where are you living? What do you mean? Uh, I'm living here. I said, where's here? Uh, weight room, Northwestern. I said, what you sleeping on? He said, uh, i a piece together. They threw out two old mattresses. i pieced them together. He said, i sleep on it. He said, it's all good. You know, it's, it's it's nothing nothing different than a fishing camp, right? Yeah, it's pretty much, uh, you know, and he felt, you know, this was his way of getting into business to show him that he would work as hard as he could. And uh, even at Miami, you know, he didn't have any money. Uh, he gets hired as the uh, assistant strength coach, defensive line coach with Jimmy Johnson. He didn't have enough money for an apartment. <laughs> now, him and Tommy Tuberville were living together. Now, you know, now Tommy, Tommy, Tommy's boy, in- you, you, you got for country a- <laughs> and <laughs> country yeah. and uh, you. So, boy, you talk about man—they they, got some tales between one another. But um, you know. It, Ed's always got stories, and, and I always said he's a, a great teller of tales, man. He, cause, and stories, he just can piece it together. He hated dealing with the media at Ole Miss. He'd complain about it, man, I hate, I hate it. I hate it, too, boy. I hate it. But now he's become a great storyteller, uh, a guy that's, that's good, um, you know, sort of interacting. And that's why my belief is he will either end up on the SEC network or on Fox. It'll be one of those two where he'll do television. And if they let him tell stories and give him those tales of yesteryear, because he's connected to everybody. I right. That USC was recruiting the top players in the country. He's done the same thing at, at LSU, and he got a story about everything. And so, uh, yeah, uh, he'll survive with that 16- nine or whatever it is. Uh, he, he'll be okay.
1: Well, he and I have something to common because I got a call after my NFL picks come a couple of weeks ago that I went five and 10 and one against the spread. I got a call from John George they offered me a $16.5 buyout, Mike. <laughs> so uh, I turned it down. Well, hopefully they'll, they'll reconsider and, and we'll see how that goes uh, going forward. Um, let's, let's talk about who you think uh, are the top candidates. Obviously, we're hearing Mel Tucker, we're hearing James Franklin, uh, maybe the two top candidates at LSU. Um, what, is your, what are your, your thoughts on, not necessarily what person, but what kind of coach needs to come here uh, to Baton Rouge to, to, to get this thing rolling again?
0: You know, I remember when Mark Kimbrick, uh basically was the one who, who really started the ball rolling to get when he was president at LSU. Uh, to get Nick Saban. Uh, at that time, all of us thought it would be Mark Ritt. You know, Mark was at Florida State and uh, he looked to be an up and coming young coach where that would be a head coach and he certainly had great success at Georgia. Uh, but then Nick threw his hat in the ring and that was it. And Nick was a good coach, a really good coach at Michigan State, but he wasn't the Nick Saban we look at today. I think Mark had a vision. And I think it's the same way with Scott Woodward and I have no doubt William Tate, the new president, wants also saying this because he has said this before and been involved in coaching searches uh, at other schools, that he wants a say in this because now you can like it or not like it, but the face of the franchise of a school today is the head football coach. All I know is the president of Alabama could walk in a hall. How many people know who he is? But if Nick Saban does, they know who he is. If the president of Texas A&M walked down that same hall, uh, do they know who he is or do they know it's Jimbo? If James Franklin does that at Penn State, they know him before the president of Penn State. So you can holler all this academia all you want, and I get it. But it brings in so much revenue, so much money, and I think now their vision is let's make a statement here with a younger coach, and I think a coach in his 40s, uh, that has a resume, has been a head coach in college football, knows the landscape a little bit, meaning that he's either been an assistant coach here or been a head coach in the South, and, and get him in quickly. That's why... I have no doubt in talking to people uh, who have a vested interest in LSU, so they can cut you a pretty big check, that Mel Tucker from Michigan State, I think, is, is the guy that they would like to pry away from Michigan State. Uh, I know he's a defensive-oriented coach, but um, and he's sort of bounced around. He's, he's like an Army brat, but that's how you have to be as an assistant coach. And, um, you know, he was here at LSU under Nick Saban, went to Ohio State, is coached in the NFL with the Browns. Jaguars, been a head coach one year at Colorado, in year two at Michigan State. But I did some junkets with Nick when he was the head coach. And he would always talk about two things really lured him to Louisiana and LSU. One, he had done a lot of research on players from that state and that Louisiana was always in the top as far as per capita producing NFL players. Well, okay, that's still the case. Four out of the last five years, Louisiana per capita has been in the top three. Only one year they weren't, and that was last year in 2020, they were fifth. This year, they're back number one. So you've got a lot of talent in a very close area. At Michigan State, he said, no matter how much I won, he was still the baby brother to Michigan. That they got the headlines, no matter what. You look in this state, he has no competition for the top talent, really doesn't. His biggest competition for the top talent in Louisiana is Dick Saber in Alabama. Yeah. So I think that that would be a big plus uh, for any head coach interested in the job. And I think Mel Tucker and James Franklin, as you brought up, I think those are the two guys that are kind of a cut above everyone else when they're looking at it. Both young coaches, both have been in the South. Uh, Mel was an assistant at Alabama and Georgia and LSU. Uh, you look at James Franklin. He won at Vanderbilt. Tim, and I'm not do you talking
1: about
0: high school. I'm talking about Vanderbilt University, (laughs) uh, where not a lot of guys win nine games. Right. James did. Now, James is a Pennsylvania guy, and uh, uh, the facilities here at LSU are fantastic. And I know that's been one kind of holler quite a bit from Franklin that he wants facilities upgraded at Penn State or, you know, that sort of thing. Uh, so I think those two guys are on top of the list, but I do believe Mel Tucker is the number one guy uh, for LSU that they'll go after. And, uh, you know, I've heard a lot of names. One guy I think is not on that list uh, and that would be Jimbo Fisher. Cause I think some money people that I've spoke to have told me, Hey, we've walked down this road, you know, we, we thought we'd get married, uh, but you know, I'm not having him be the runaway bride in and him get a ton more money at A&M. So uh, I, I, I didn't believe those reports about Jimbo Fisher. And Jimbo, he talks so fast uh, about how he, he loves AM. I A&M. I'm sort of, man, you know, everybody said, well, I don't understand Ed real well. Well, just listen to Jimbo. He talks yeah. so quick. And I've known him for a long time. And I think he's a really good coach and great recruiter. I think he saddled uh, with that A&M job. So I I agree. I think Tucker and Frank are the two front runners right now with Tucker being in the top spot.
1: What are the thoughts of, um, you know, the rumors that have been around on social media and such of trying to bring in an offensive-minded coach? And, and I'm not saying I agree with it. I, I think that those two guys that we just talked about are probably the best candidates for LSU. And I think they would both, either one of them, I think would be great in Baton Rouge, but the the possibility of getting an offensive-minded coach to try to lure Arch Manning, which obviously could change the projection of your program for many years.
0: I I guess that's in thought. Um, And and I know Arch has shown certainly some interest in LSU, but I have never thought LSU was in that top tier. Uh, for Arch Manning. Uh, Now, others have thought that way, and and Arch says all the right things, and and Cooper says all the right things, but I've never felt LSU was in there, no matter who was the head coach uh, at LSU. And uh, I I think it's it's pretty clear cut now when you look uh, at his recruitment with Georgia, Alabama, Texas, Clemson, uh, of his top four teams. Uh, So, you know, could something happen there to change his mind? I'm sure, but I've never felt Arch had any sort of lean hard toward LSU. Uh it is what it is. I think he'll I think he'll either go he'll be going to one of those four schools and it won't be LSU no matter who the coach is.
1: Jim Derry here with Mike Detailier on the Datitude Podcast on this Wednesday morning. Um Mike, it's hard to even fathom a Manning, uh, an LSU player with a Manning on his nameplate, right? I mean, as much as the man, you know, the Ole Misses in the Tennessee. I agree. Ole Miss just doesn't like LSU, period. I mean, I talked about this earlier in the week, Mike, but people don't realize, for people our age, we remember back when LSU-Ole Miss was a big rivalry and a big deal for LSU fans, but LSU doesn't care about Ole Miss anymore. It doesn't work the other way. That's why I think... If Lane Kiffin gets a chance this weekend to, to pound LSU in ob- oblivion, he's going to he do will. it s- simply for that fan base because they beat the hell out of LSU is all we ever hear. Just because we don't care doesn't mean they don't.
0: Yeah, uh, you know, and Lane and Ed, um, and I got to know Lane a little bit through Ed uh, because when Ed was at, on that UFT staff, um, a number of us from here took that trip to Southern Cal. And, um, and, you know, it was like a who's who, you know, Pete Carroll was there. They had Sarkeesian who was there, you know, Lane was a young coach there. And, um, you know, so I think when you look at Lane, you know, I I think that there's some closeness there and the big brother sort of thing with that, I think it is, I think a good analogy because it has been big brother, little brother. But they competitive with one another now, <laughs> really competitive. No, if Lane had an opportunity to pound them, he would. And I think it's vice versa. I think if Ed had that opportunity, he would do that with Lane. Um, I don't think that will happen this weekend. I think it will be a high-scoring game, and it will be kind of who has the ball last uh, between the two of them. But, um, you know, that LSU-Ole Miss rivalry is, is just simmered. The big rivalry today – other than LSU-Alabama, is really LSU-Florida. You know, you look at how those games have went out. You know, seven of the last eight games have been last possession games. LSU winning the last three. Some of the craziest stuff in the world has happened in those games. That's a much bigger rivalry, even though they were in the East. That's a much bigger rivalry today that LSU will miss.
1: I, I agree, for sure. Uh, so, we'll see what happens this weekend. Um, I'm not... I'm not, uh, look, I said before last week's game, I didn't think LSU would win, but I thought they would play really well. You hold, you hold your hand around a Cajun's neck and put him up against a wall, um, he's going to have a little something for you, okay? And that's where, Coach O, I mean, even though we know what ended up happening afterwards, there was no doubt in my mind that this team was going to fight their tails off because he wasn't just gonna go quietly into the good night. And I think that's the way the rest of the season will go. Whether it matters, I don't know if they whether they have the talent to compete with his old miss team, but it sure is gonna be an interesting weekend. And I agree with you. You're gonna have to have your head on a swivel to go back and forth to see how many points are scored this week. I think there might be ninety or more points scored combined.
0: Well, No one thing. I bet it'll be in the eighties, uh, because I've seen both defenses play. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> no, neither one of them uh, are, are good defenses. So, uh, you know, I, I don't know about the health of Corral. I, I didn't believe Lane about it. Oh, I don't know if he'll play this because yeah, right. he's beat up. Okay, hey, He's hurt. I get it. He's hurting. But that don't mean he ain't going to play. Right, Come on. right. Because I got some people, oh, Matt Corral won't play. My thing is, just because Lane Kiffin said he's hurting, man, you got a lot of He ain't of missing this game. But <laughs> Lane comes in that a little bit, uh, uh, you know. And, and even Ed, we had him on last night, uh, and he was laughing. He said, "Yeah, uh, I expect he's going to play. I expect yeah. he's going to." So yeah, we we get what Lane was trying to to pull there.
1: And he's going to throw a lot of passes over into the middle of that LSU defense that has been yeah. very suspect in the middle of the field. They've been okay on the edges, but up in the middle, that linebacker core has, has had their issues for sure. Let's move on to the Saints and. Mike, um, you know, I, I've said it a couple of times. I think I'm not a big fan of early bye weeks. Uh, but in this case, for the Saints, I think an early bye week really came to help them. Obviously, as banged up as they are, we're not 100% sure which of the guys they're going to get back this weekend. But um, oh, let's say this weekend, Monday night against Seattle. But certainly for them to have an extra week of rest to heal is, is an excellent thing for this ball club.
0: Yeah, and they are who I thought they would be. And it's a bit of a yo-yo run. Uh, and I know Sean doesn't like that, but it, I think it's been true. You've seen good, you've seen bad, you've seen good, you've seen bad, you've seen good. And that, that's what I thought we'd see early. Now, the wins and losses on who you won and who you didn't win, uh, who you didn't beat, I should say, are a little different, but they still ended up with the 3-2 and two mark at basically the bye uh, you are getting healthy. I don't know how many of those guys will be back uh, for Seattle, but I suspect uh, quite a few of them will be back for the Tampa game. And, and so that that's good news for the Saints. Uh, defensively, they have uh, played really good football. We can see that in practice. That um, they, they got a pretty good group there, really good group, especially when they're in good health. And knowing Anya is coming back real soon is a huge plus. Arguably the best player they have on defense other than DeMario Davis. To get him back is is huge. On offense, uh, we'll see what happens. Looks like another couple weeks for Michael Thomas. But he certainly can help out that passing attack. And we knew it would look different this year. Really different offensively. Uh, without Drew Brees, and and Sean's trying to, I think, find a right mix to kind of harness a little bit what Jameis can do, but also unleash him to throw the deep ball, and that we haven't seen in this attack in three to four years, ability to get the ball deep downfield. So that's still a work in progress, but that didn't surprise me, at one bit, that you would have a little bit of misjointment Uh, early in the season offensively. Special teams has been great other than the kicking game, which has been lousy. Uh, And hopefully Will Lutz is back for the Tampa Bay game too. Man, it just goes to show you uh, when you have a premier guy like Lutz, what he means to your football team. And it's been a revolving door of kickers here. And it reminded me of what it was before Lutz, when they had the same sort of issues one way or another Uh, Man, Gilligan has been fantastic as a player. The third game has been outstanding. Their coverage units have been very good. Uh, Blocked a couple kicks. So, you know, but you got to get Lutz back because I think in the way they're structured today, you cannot be kind of even Steven in the special teams part of the game. You have to win that part of the game. And that means when you call the point to kick a 45-yard field goal, kick it. Now, anything past 50, you know that that's sometimes uh, not the best of odds, but Lutz has been real good with the long kicks also. But inside 45, come on, you got to hit those kicks. And it just has not been the case with the Saints. So I think it's been a really good coaching job by Sean Payton to piece this together. They run the football more than they have in the past, and I get it. Uh, you you have to be able to run the football. Now, they'll have all these analytical guys give you stats about throwing the football, and, uh, you know, you got to throw it to set up the run. No. Uh, the teams that are winning today, look across the board. Is Tennessee setting up Derrick Henry for <laughs> right. throwing the football? Oh, okay, <laughs> come on. Use a little bit of common sense. Is Carolina... The same team with McCaffrey and without him, because a lot of those little, almost like an extended handoff. But they're so rigid on trying to preach to you about the passing game, they forget. Man, isn't Tampa a different offensive team when they got Leonard Fournette rolling? One hundred percent. You know, when he gets the ball, he's dangerous. And so I do think that's a big part of what we've seen sort of the evolution with Sean over the last two years. They've run the football more. And I think it's a key to their success. Uh, And that's, I think, a big reason why you bring in a veteran like Lamar Miller with Tony Jones down, that you don't want to beat up uh, Alvin Kamara just running him the football constantly. And he hasn't been used as much as a receiver coming out of the backfield. Uh and Lamar's a really good receiver, and I think he can help out uh with some depth at the running back position. He's a sharp cut, real hard-nosed north-south guy, and he's got some giddy up in the step.
1: And Green Bay with Aaron Jones and A.J. Dillon, and you look at Kansas City's problems this year, it's no Can't coincidence. The Co- no coincidence Edward is hurt. They don't have a real running back. Daryl Williams, who was great at LSU and even better at Bell by the way. Um, but <laughs> you know, I mean, it, it just goes to show 100%. If you don't have, to me, a quality running game, except in the rare, in rare cases, you're not going to be contended to win the Super Bowl. And that's why, you well, know...
0: Go King- ahead. Yes. The Cowboys have gotten back to running yes. the football. If it's, it's looks like Pollard, a different guy. Clark. Now, game one, you had to understand who you were playing. They are terrific in stopping to run Tampa Bay. And so, Zach... Dak just went off throwing the football and Dak is ter- has been terrific this year but I think he's been helped so much by the fact that they can run the football with Zeke and with Pollard and it opens up things in the passing game you can't have that guy's got to come in the box to help stop the run and you get coverages downfield that are very favorable uh, so I-, I never bought that stuff about oh you gotta throw the ball to open up the running game. Uh I you know, listen, it's still a physical game and these two factors always come into play. You gotta run the ball, you gotta stop the run. And so far, uh now the game against Carolina, you just got all beat up uh for the Saints, but in the Giants game you should have never lost, giving up those big plays in the secondary deep or were the killers. But they've been pretty consistent in stopping the run. And running the football. And I do think that is a huge key to that success. Now, the third part would be to get Will Lutz back because you got to win special teams.
1: I agree wholeheartedly. And you look at this week's opponent, Seattle, Mike, and, um, you know, they ran the ball really well against Pittsburgh and almost found a way to come back. I say they ran the ball well. They ran the ball well in the second half. Um, Yeah. And we don't know the health of Chris Carson and whether he's – ready to come back or not. I guess we'll find out soon. But uh, this is an interesting matchup this week for the Saints because I think Seattle's in mixed bag, and even though Russell Wilson is out, uh, Geno Smith has proved at times he can play well enough. Um, Their defense isn't what they're used to to being, but Pete Carroll is kind of like Ed O in a way. When his back's up against the wall, those Seahawks find a way. They're never going to be out of contention. Okay, I don't. I don't think Pete Carroll is the greatest coach on the, on the planet. But one thing about him is he finds a way to get the most out of his players. And I tell you, I. I'm. This is not a great spot for the Saints for me, going on, on a Monday night, and you know they've spent part of the week working on Tampa Bay on the Halloween because they got a short week with Tampa Bay. So this this kind of worries me a little bit. I'm not saying the Saints are going to lose. But it, it it really worries me that they got to go all the way to Seattle, and at the same time they're thinking about Tampa Bay six days later.
0: Well, you're playing on the road in a hostile environment in Seattle. Uh, sometimes the weather does play a part there. The big plus is Russell Wilson isn't going to be on the field. You got Geno Smith. Um, I've, a friend of mine actually, he's the chief odds maker uh, for the win. Uh, in Las Vegas and actually lived in Thibodeau. Uh, he grew up in the Thibodeau area. And he told me, you know, the way they look at it, Russell Wilson is six and a half points for Seattle. That That's how much he means. And basically a touchdown uh, when he's playing and when he's not. So not having Russell Wilson in the lineup is, is big. And we've seen Gino, he's hot and he's cold and he's private to, maybe throw a pass he shouldn't throw, a fumble ball. Uh, And and we've seen it the last two weeks. You know, he's played pretty well. And then all of a sudden late, there's a fumble or he throws a bad pass. So, you know, one of the things with the Saints, they haven't had maybe a great pass rush. But, man, they've been really good getting turnovers. Well, Geno Smith's the exact quarterback you want to play in that because he puts up two or three passes every game that are potential interceptions. Uh, I know you're playing it on the road and that sort of thing, but I would have a lot more worries if Russell Wilson was in the lineup instead of – in Geno Smith there, uh, and listen, I know he's an NFL player and he's had his moments, but he's not a scary guy by any stretch. Their defensive line doesn't get a great pass rush. Their secondary isn't close. To what it was years ago. I think the Saints went on the road against Seattle. I think the tough game is Tampa. Uh, you know, because Tampa's like, hey, you know, we got our butts kicked twice last year. Now they won when it meant something in the playoffs. Uh, and so that's going to be an interesting game with Saints and Bucks. The big difference is from a year ago, the Bucks' secondary um, just with a lot of injuries and haven't played well. And even the Eagles kind of had their spots with them throwing the football downfield. So um, I think the Saints take care of business against Seattle. But I think early on, the Seahawks give them everything they want, and I agree with you on Pete. He's not the great X's and O's coach, but he's a tremendous motivator. It's us against the world, and he always has his teams ready to play. And that's going to happen Monday night. He's going to have Seattle ready to play and he's going to have a crowd behind him.
1: And I still say if Jared Cook doesn't fumble at football, the Saints are playing in Green Bay the next week. But, they might uh, have. They might we, have. We can, you know, I can be bitter. It, it, it's okay to, you know. <laughs> he's
0: got, a, he's got a right to be. Uh, it's even worse to see him catch all in passes from exactly, Herb, Which exactly. charges and he don't one of
1: them. <laughs> he had not dropped a single pass. I don't think he left here. Yeah. Um, you talk about Tampa Bay and and how they came up big when they needed to, but you, you know this Saints team is going to have to find a way. You to, running the football is is nearly impossible against these guys, but being able to throw the ball, you can be successful. Jameis to me is really progressed, and I know there are a lot of fans who don't agree with me, but he and Sean are just feeling each other out right now to me. And you go back in time, 15 years, it's not all that much different. And now I'm not comparing Jameis Winston to drew Brees by any stretch of the imagination, but it took a while. I think for Sean and drew to figure one another out. And I think the same thing's going on here. And I think we've seen a progression to where Jameis is feeling a little bit more comfortable. He's to me, he's not playing quite as tentative as he did in the beginning And to me, that can only lead to them just opening things up in the second half of the season.
0: Well, and I think what a lot of people aren't taking into consideration uh, in 2006 was Drew was coming off of major shoulder surgery. Uh, Zach Streif had told me, Mike, uh, up until probably game three of the preseason, he said, I hadn't seen him throw a pass more than 20 yards. So... Part of that was getting used to Sean. The other part was he's coming off a major reconstructive-type deal on his shoulder. Uh, And so that's why those numbers look a little bit different than they were down the road because also he's getting used to Sean, but he's also still rehabbing that major injury to the shoulder. Uh, But I think we've seen progress with Jameis. And, but I always think he, he's going to be a little bit of a streaky quarterback. I think that's just his nature, where he may throw two or three unbelievable passes downfield. He's got a rifle. He can hit the deep pass. I think that's really the forte for him, his ability to stretch the field and throw the deep ball. He throws that really well. Now, the short intermediate, that's where it's a little bit erratic. That's not going to get that much better. I think there'll always be that part of him that will have that streakiness to him. But, man, the other part is the ability to threaten you with the deep pass. And he can throw it as well as anybody in the game. It's just a timing sort of thing, and he he can launch it out there. So I think we're going to see him get better in this offense. Certainly, if you can get Mike back uh, healthy. Uh, well, Traquan, he's got to prove something to me. Right. You know, and – uh, again, uh, he, we see it in flashes here and there, but he's got to sort of prove that. The other big part is the return of Eric McCoy. And I'm a big center guy, and I do this every year when I put out the drive book about how important that center position is. You make all the calls up front. You get everybody kind of in in step. You You see that interior blitz that you have to pick up, and then making those calls to certain people to switch off and we saw when McCoy, he came one. Once he went down the second game, they weren't the same team. McCoy, 100%. Man, McCoy is an elite player, an elite center in the National Football League. And that has moments there because in the past, I think we didn't appreciate how good Max Sunger was. I was going to say. Max from Seattle. Max was the greatest center ever for the Saints. But people didn't realize that. How I was going to
1: say, Mike, do you remember the uproar when Jimmy Graham got traded and yep. Max Unger and, and people were just, what are you doing? You can't do this kind of things. And Max Unger, I agree. I don't know if he was the best center the Saints have ever had, but he's certainly up there. Every good Saints team throughout history, and I'm go, go back to Hilgenberg if you want, all the way back in, in time and ask Bobby this. Uh, every good Saints team has had an excellent center.
0: Yeah, no question. And you know, and Bob and I talk about it a lot. And he always talked about, you know, oh man, Hilgenberg was really good. Uh, Steve Court was a good center. Jeff Fain, who they got, you know, in 2006 in a trade with the Browns, uh, was a really good center. And he got the he got paid. The Bucks made it the highest paid center in the National Football League. But we both agree uh, that Max Unger was the be- is the best center that's ever played on this team. Now, I think Eric McCoy. May be the challenger for that. He may pull the belt off of him one day, and okay, when Max retired, Drew can make those calls and and change things up. So now you don't have Hunger, or you don't have uh, Drew, and now you don't have McCoy. So that's what makes it difficult up front because okay, it's a timing issue. Uh, we saw, I think it was the second and the third day of practice, Eric. As a rookie, uh, Zach Strieff and I—we standing off to the side, and the only guy that didn't move with the ball was Eric McCoy. The four other guys race up the field, and you can hear the whistle—tweet, tweet, tweet. tweet. McCoy—he hadn't stopped it yet. And you know, and Drew's telling him, "Hey, listen, Cadence, <laughs> you got to snap it to me." And it took a little while for Eric, but uh, I'll always remember that Zach was, "Oh, oh man, uh, come on, he's got to snap it." The rest of the guys are going. You are the time clock. Kevin Mowai, um yeah. who's in the National League Hall of Fame, he does our Louisiana Line Camp uh, virtually every year when he's not coaching college football. Uh, he's told me, "You're the time clock. You're the guy. You got to make all those calls. You got to get everything right. You got to sometimes calm down a young quarterback or a quarterback who's maybe off that day, just to kind of, you know, hey, listen, it's okay. Just keep fighting. We- we- we're going to be there." And he says, so you got to be the time clock and also the motivator uh, for the other guy, especially like if you have a left tackle that gets beat. Hey, don't worry about it. We, we're going to get it next time. And how important that center position is, and, I, you know, I look at the Saints and I also look at LSU, okay? Yeah. And this is it's Liam Shanahan, but, you know, he's not a real physical player. Man, what LSU really missed? Lloyd Cushenberry when he was the center. Man, Lloyd was terrific. Uh, He caught all those interior blitzes uh, for Joe Burrow. Uh, You know, he made all the calls up front, made sure everybody knew what they were doing. And he was Joe's protector. Because his deal is, man, if Joe gets hit downfield, that's his issue. But if he gets hit behind me, that's my issue. And it's funny how Cushenberry was such a big part. Now, he doesn't get, not a lot of people write about that. But it's the truth. Lloyd was terrific in that 2018-2019 season, uh, the season you won 10 games and then you win the national championship, how big of a player he was because of his physicality, his talent, his smarts. And it's not that Liam isn't a smart guy. He was at Harvard. But, it is, again, uh, being physical in the Ivy League and being physical in the SEC is two different things. And he fi- he's finding out the hard way.
1: I hear Aaron Rodgers told uh, Joe Burrow that he needs to learn how to slide.
0: Well, good luck with that. Listen, they were trying to tell him that uh, at LSU. uh, You know, it was just something he didn't want to do. Uh, I know Coach O numerous times would kind of pull him aside. Hey, listen, you can't take on a linebacker or a safety downfield. You You can't do it. You know, slide. We've got to have another snap out of you. Okay, it lasted about three seconds. Joke back in the huddle. <laughs> right. Bang. You know, he, he's he's going to do what he wants to do. And so that means he's going to get beat up a lot. But, man, listen, um, through all my years, uh, if I would list that Mount Rushmore of tough guys at LSU, I'm not talking about talent. I'm talking about toughness. Joe Burrow's on that list. I mean, that's how tough a dude he was. Ben, he would take anybody. It didn't matter who you were. That's just the way he was raised. You know, his dad was a former player and a coach. And and he felt, I'm going to show you how good and how tough I am. Well, show me how good you are, but stay healthy. You don't have to show me how tough. I know you're tough. uh, But I hope somewhere down the line, Joe, understands that. That, you know, you can't take on a linebacker or a safety downfield. They'll knock you to tomorrow. I mean, that's just the way it is. But they tried at LSU. I know Coach Ensminger, Coach, oh, they would, they would preach it to him, and he didn't listen.
1: Well, Sam Darnold's doing the same thing for Joe Brady right now. I mean, of course, it's out of necessity with, McCra- with McCaffrey out. I want to yeah. see – I think Chuba Hubbard's actually a pretty good back. We'll, we'll, we'll see this weekend probably. But uh, Darnold's going through the same thing, and so maybe it's a Joe Brady thing. Tell him to run, run, run. I don't know.
0: Well, oh, no, Joe – Joe kind of preached it to him too about hey, listen, take the slide, run out of bounds. But, you know, listen, uh, you know, is that old Southern saying, you can leave yeah. the horse to the water. That's and right. Get in the drain. Uh and, and Joe was a guy, you know, he wasn't even dipping the head into the water trough. Hey, his deal was, I'm going to do it the way I want to do it, which means you're taking a lot of big hits. And, and you know, and, that's unusual for a quarterback. Most of them, they understand: lift the fight another day, take the knee, uh, or take the slide, or go out of bounds. And good uh, luck trying to teach. I them. don't know, Mike. One,
1: one oh, my. more serious, no one. one more serious injury, one more concussion, or whatever it is, and I think um, he's going to have to take a good look at himself and and figure out that, look, this is a kid to me who could be in the NFL for for fifteen years or more. Um, it could be a, a star in this league and you know that as well as I do. You've been up close with him and
0: well we but what we, could cut his so uh, career short. The Bengals have been must watch T V. Ken and Anderson, he, I don't know. Joe, <laughs> yeah, you gotta go that far. My thing about it is Joe Burrow has made the Bengals must watch TV because of how good he is and now you got Jamar Chase if you can keep Joe Mixon healthy now, I think that's the big key because you no. gotta have a running right. And uh, and Joe's even made that comment about he's such a big key to, to us offensively because I see different coverages when we're running the ball well. But boy, you got Mixon, you got Jamar, and now you got him. Um they are must-watch TV because they're entertaining. They're very entertaining, and Joe is just absolutely fabulous.
1: There's no question about it. Jim Derry here with Mike Dattelier on the Two Podcast. I'd like to wrap up the guest segment with three big questions, Mike. Sometimes they're tough. Sometimes they're not so tough. You can tell me if they're tough or not. Uh, question number one, is this Saints team a playoff team?
0: Yes, I think they have the potential to be a playoff team.
1: Number two, on... The first weekend of September in 2022, is Jameis Winston the Saints starting quarterback?
0: Man, that's a toughie uh, because I think we'll have to see how this season plays out. Uh, But, um, man, you know, finances are going to come involved too. So, man, that's a tough one for me. Uh, I, I would like to see a little bit more of Jameis before I would answer that. I would lean more toward no.
1: That's, you know, that's the $64,000 question, right? I mean, Jameis has been such a a mixed bag. But, uh, again, I see progression there. I'd probably lean towards no, too. But there's something about, to me, Mike, and this is still part of question number two, but Sean Payton loves a challenge like maybe no other coach in the NFL. And I think he brought Jameis Winston here to say, you know, you guys can stick it. I can turn anybody. If they've got talent, I can turn anybody into a star in this league. And I think he's taken this on as a challenge. So the only reason why I would say yes, I I mean, I still think it's going to be no, but the only reason why I would say yes is because I think Peyton's got something to prove. And he, by God, if anybody can prove it and anybody can turn someone into a a star in the NFL, it's at that position, it's Sean Payton.
0: The other thing, too, is he didn't draft Ian Book to be a backup.
1: No, I agree with that 100%. I'm
0: telling you. 100%. This is how he has talked about Ian Book. And I think he envisions one day that, you know what? Ian Book is going to be back in the NFL. That year, too, that remains to be seen. But I think he believes. I think that's Sean's big project is Ian Book. I really believe that. That's his. I don't project. disagree.
1: Don't, don't you think, Mike? That and again, I'm not comparing anybody to anybody. So don't take this the wrong way, listeners. I don't want to get hate mail. But don't you think Ian Book just not just in stature is so much like Drew Brees? which just this guy was a winner. He doesn't have the strongest arm in the planet, but he he's got this – he's six feet tall. No one's ever given this kid a chance. They still don't give him a chance. But everything you see and hear from this dude, he makes you believe that he thinks he has a chance.
0: Yeah, he. Uh, I've never compared him to Drew, but who he reminds me of is a guy I saw uh, kind of growing up, and that's Brian sight. Yeah, uh, I can with see that. The Cleveland Browns, got a very similar build uh, to Ian Book. And tough guy, hang in the pocket, will take off when he needs to. Uh, he wasn't the this real fastball pitcher, but he was a great leader. And that's who, when I first saw him at Notre Dame, he reminded me so much of Brian, who was not a real tall quarterback. He didn't have a super strong arm, but he was accurate. He would run with the football when he needed to. And so I see a lot of Brian's sight in Ian Book. Uh, Drew Brees, they'll have a lot of six-foot quarterbacks get – compared to drew his accuracy skills were just unbelievable how he could put a ball in between arms and hands and the timing of it was unbelievable but uh, so if i would compare ian to anyone it would be brian site
1: and it's been a long time for people that are young uh younger than maybe the age of 35 or so i mean before baker mayfield the last quarterback that Anyone talked about a Cleveland with Cle- the Cleveland Browns or Bernie Kosar and Brian Sype. So it's been a long time since anyone's talked about Cleveland Browns quarterbacks. You bring a blast from the past. Mike, final question, um, man. LSU will they? They only really need to win. They're going to beat ULM, so uh, they only win, need to win really one more SEC game to get into a bowl game, which is hard to believe and, and it's hard to think that that's going to happen. That that's the case. Will this LSU team win one more game and get into a bowl game?
0: Yeah, I think they will. I think they'll win one more other than UL Monroe, and I do think they'll play in a bowl game. Uh, and and Eds made the comment he's going to coach that game, so that's you know that that's even another twist to it. But um, you know, I, for all this talk about uh, he lost the locker room and he lost the players. Uh, didn't you see the, that team play with a lot right. of heart last? Uh, yes, you know they, they, they did. not play smart sometimes, but they, they played with a lot of fight in them despite all the injuries and everything else. Um, so I, I think when it's all said and done, uh, and Ed will be able to talk about this a little bit more. I think the biggest thing with him is he did not handle success very well. And it affected his work ethic, his concentration, his focus, and also the people around you. Um, because I've been offered an opportunity to write a book on success uh, from a business standpoint, uh, from standpoint of investments, people that are in the business world, investment world, doctors, lawyers who are at the highest level in the sports world. And just doing a little bit of research, because I got to make up my mind, because, you know, if I get involved with this then uh, I'm going to be obsessive with it. So one way or another I got to make up my mind quickly do I want to do it. All of them have a couple things in common. And is they all failed at one time one way or another. Secondly, they always had good people around them and they took advice. They were willing to listen to people that maybe knew a little bit more about a subject than they did. And but they were you know, adamant about to have people that were really good surrounding you and to give you, and if you were wrong, to have enough spine to tell them, hey, look, you know, that, that's not going to work. Let's do it this way and sort of explain it and almost make it look as though it's their idea to do it. And, and I think that was the key because so many of them that I've spoke to said, I know it wasn't my original idea. It, you know, it was an associate of mine. That told me, and also to be able to change the times, to to quickly pivot. If you look at that, that kind of blueprint, isn't that what Nick Saban has done better than anybody in college football? That's why he's the greatest coach in college football history, because if you think about the coaches before him, uh, they didn't have to play with scholarship limits. They didn't have to play with teams that were losing players every year early to the NFL, sometimes five to seven. Uh, player, uh, commuter world of assistant coaches that will go to Alabama just to get them another job somewhere else. And the transfer portal now, where a guy, man, I, I'm not playing, I'm out of here. Nick has been able to guide that Alabama program through some really uh, crocodile watered uh, areas and done it like no one else. So long after we gone, they're going to have people writing books about how Saban did it. And I find it funny that the business world, financial world, people who are doctors, lawyers, people who are the most successful in this world have those traits. It's just not, oh, my office is open 24-7. You can come talk to me. But do you listen? Or are you so hard-headed about it, about something that, okay, yeah, you can come in here, but I'm really not listening. And Nick has core values that he keeps. And the people that are successful in life have core values. But if you don't, that little bit of success changes you. You and I have been in this business a long time. Haven't we seen media people exactly like that? They get so a true. little bit of They don't work as hard. They clinking glasses at night. Hey, it's, you know, whoop do doo whoop doo Hey, having a great time. And that's all great and fine. But if you do it a little bit too much, you know, it takes away from your prep work and what you do and your focus. And you know, everybody's got some personal issues in their life, one way or another. You can say, oh, I don't have any, you lying. Everybody right. does one way. Or you might not have financial situations, but you have personal issues and who, and maybe people that you're dealing with, family, friends, whatever. I do see that as the distraction and I think Ed got caught in the vortex of it. Now, again, he can only blame one guy, the guy who looks in the mirror, because he had an opportunity to really think this out during the COVID period uh, of, of 2020, to think out, man, what kind of legacy do I want to leave here, try to surround myself with really good people. And the development of talent wasn't there. But look at what he's lost. People like Pete Jenkins, the dean of defensive line coaches. Steve Insminger, who was a really good coach. People don't give Steve as much credit 100%. as they should. Steve was a terrific quarterback coach. Joe Burrow will tell you, man, I learned much more from Steve Insminger than any other guy at LSU. Uh, Dennis Johnson, we all call him Meatball. He's the defensive line coach now at Baylor. Dave Aranda. The head coach at Baylor, Joe Brady, who's now the play caller for the Carolina Panthers. Name me one guy on that staff that's as good as those guys.
1: I don't think there is one. And so one thing, Mike, I think you discounted with Nick Saban too, is the yeah. mentality of the of the the 20-year-old kid today, because when Bear Bryant was coaching in the 50s, 60s, 70s, everything was yes, so yes, sir, no, sir. And whatever you tell me to do, sir. Nick Saban doesn't live in that world today, and neither does any other football coach because 20 year old kids have a completely different mind of their own today than they had back 30, 40 years ago and, you when know, you and I were growing up.
0: You and I grew up, we didn't have social media. No, you know, they good didn't, thing. Have, you didn't yeah. Oh yeah. Uh, you know, you didn't have a camera that could record everything, you know, in your pocket so to speak, with a cell phone. So all of that is in social media status and everything else. You know, for some people, that's such a huge deal for them. They're more worried about that than they are about their work. Uh, but I think the one thing that I got told years ago, and it's always stayed with me, is the most successful people in life are the greatest listeners. They listen. They listen. And so you listen to what the change is going around you. You listen to people who, go, who are going through that change or younger people or people that have had maybe a, a little bit of luck in a certain particular deal. But it's the ability to listen. Today, all people want to do is tell you stuff that they're not listening. And if you tell them, I've had people in this business tell me, uh, listen, if you see I do something wrong or it's not quite right, just let me know. As soon as you tell them something, oh, why are you telling me this? You know, I'm like, okay, you first of all, you ask me if I see something maybe that's not quite right, and I tell you about it, and then you get upset if I tell you about it. So kind of tell me what's what. When they tell me that, that's it. I I don't do it anymore because what you're doing is you're just playing to me. You're just telling me what what I want to hear at that point. It's not what you want to do. And so we... We've both been through that. We've been through this long enough. We've seen people who have changed with uh, not a lot of success, a little bit. Look at Ed. You know, you're talking about winning the national championship in football. That is be – all of a sudden, you can easily trade – I mean, it it solved the Rocky song, but easily trade your passion for glory and fame, easily, and to say, never happened to me it won't happen to you because you're not going to be in that spot. If it did, I'm just telling you, success is difficult to kind of win over. It, it, it's tough to get to the mountaintop. It's even tougher to stay there. That that becomes the issue. And that's why I, I have a, a lot of admiration for what people like Mike Tomlin and Bill Belichick, Sean Payton have done for longevity. Now, they got geniuses in this world that, you know, they they an okay this and an okay that in profession, and they're the first to criticize coaches. Look at what Tomlin, Belichick, Peyton have done to keep that measure of success for that long a period of time in professional football when, you know, there's a lot of changes going on, and you have to change. The game's changed, so you have to. Uh, it's amazing. And when you become rigid, like I think one of those three coaches I've become, and he's the winningest coach of maybe the best pro football coach of all time, you you become a little bit rigid about certain things, it's just you too. Even as good as Belichick is, and I still think he's a terrific coach, Tom Brady was such a big part of those great teams, and he did not recognize Brady still had gas left in the tank.
1: It, it wasn't that he didn't recognize it, I think, Mike. It's that he, in a ego. way, like, yeah, ego. ego. That's the word. And, look, I'm going to tell you, Mike, to tell you that if you ever see anything you want to give me advice on or something I'm doing wrong, I will 100% listen, and I will not tell you to go somewhere. Uh, so, if yeah. you... So please, I, I'm taking advice. I've been—I don't care that I've been in this business 30 years. I'm—I'm I'm pretty new to this—this uh, this whole audio gig, so I'm learning.
0: Jim, every day we learn something, uh, it's it something you know. When I do prep work, to know that I'll do that three hours or two hours, uh, WWL. Uh, you know, I learn something new every day. Sometimes it's really surprising some of the things that you know you think yet yeah, you know a lot about and then you find out one little tidbit and it leads you to something else and something else that is the learning process. I, I think a lot of times we kind of get caught up in jobs where we do something every day for so long that we think we know everything about yeah. it. And really not the case. And as you talked about, okay, uh, five years ago, if I'd have told you, Hey, we're going to be doing a zoom. Uh, I'd have told you
1: uh, you were out of your mind.
0: <laughs> it's like what Zoom? You got to be kidding. Zoom what? Uh, so everybody has to change with the times, and sometimes events out of your control change you and change how you have to do things. And some people really buck that really hard. They don't want. They don't want to change for anything. Oh, I've been doing this all these years. That's how it's going to be. Uh, you got to understand the world's changing, and so you have to change with. It.
1: Well, I would tell you that when i you know like I said, I've been in this business for thirty years in the first probably twenty years of my career, I didn't want to listen. I thought I knew everything yep. with this social media, this Twitter thing comes along my my employers are telling me you got to get in this twitter you you got to start setting stuff out, you got to get followers, and I'm like, I don't need to do that. nobody cares about any of that. I'm not doing that, and guess what over the past nine years, I've been laid off and brought back three times, so guess what I start to listen a little bit. My German head is actually finally starting to open up a little bit and starting to listen. And now, um, I realized that this social media thing and all these audio visual things we do and, and doing interviews so people can hear them and talking to people and not just listening to your own head actually means something. So there's certainly, uh, something in to listen. And it just took me a long time to realize that.
0: Yeah. It's, it's the best trait somebody could have to be a great listener. And, uh, You know, due to the storm, and my youngest daughter, her and her husband, and the two grandkids, uh, they had some damage to their roof and mold damage, water damage. So they're getting all that fixed up. So uh, they they staying here with me and with us. And so I got a little seven-year-old granddaughter, and you know she's watching all these like little videos from TikTok and all. Right. And so when I first saw that, what? but then you start to see what their fascination is with it you know for because you got to look through it through the eyes of a seven-year-old of why that is interesting to them and um you know if i hear any more cocoa melon though i'm willing to, to go up the wall oh my goodness gracious two-year-old.
1: don't you have really two and a
0: half year old melon oh uh, because you, you ask me what well, you want to watch uh coco melon pop cocoa melon oh. i was like and I can't take Coco Melon too much more long, you know, and that the wheel goes round and round. Oh, and,
1: my God. Know. I got it, too. Mike. But,
0: but and I, they want to watch it, and I watch, and she can sing along. So it's her little learning process in seeing it, and she's used of it. And so sometimes you learn from little kids because you sing seeing it through their eyes of how the world has changed. Uh, it's not like that when I was seven years old. No. Uh, you know, You know, you're talking about seven
1: Mike, you're talking about seven-year-olds. My wife doesn't watch TV anymore. She comes home and when she finally is done, I mean, she works from seven in the morning to to five thirty or six at night, comes home, fixes dinner, gets kids' baths, and you know what she does at eight o'clock after 13 hours of on her feet all day? She lays in bed and watches TikTok for about two hours. And if I hear oh no, oh no, oh no, 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 one more time, I'm gonna go insane. Okay, but
0: it's not just for kids. It's part part of the world we live in, and uh, so then you get kind of affiliated with it. You know, you think about how Netflix and Amazon and how they have, you know, branched out into the, you know, the movie world and, and, you know, just documentaries, you name it. And some of the best things I've seen on TV has actually been on Netflix and and Amazon. For sure. Uh, So, you know, again, it goes to show you, uh, I never forget my dad when they were first. This was seventies. Uh, they were going around trying to see if people would be interested in cable TV. And my dad at first was, oh, "I ain't paying for that nothing." <laughs> <laughs> well, finally, you know, we broke him, so to speak. Of uh, come on, come on, you can, you know, you can watch WGN, you can watch TBS, that sort. Because of, that was big back then. Right. Uh, baseball. And, and who watched more TV than my dad? No one. I mean, he was. <laughs> he would come back home, and that TV, it wasn't uh, on the regular channel watching, because he, he, he loved baseball, so he, he loved watching the TBS because they had the Braves right. at that time, and WGN, when he retired, he could watch the Cubs. So, you know, again, he sort of right. adjusted to... told me that before he passed away. He never told me that. Uh, just like he would never... You couldn't get him to believe anybody was better than Otto Graham. Uh, automatic Otto. Greatest quarterback of all time. <clears throat> so, you know, you're watching Unitas, uh, watching, you know, Bradshaw, watching Joe Montana, uh, watching Elway and those guys, and then, you know, he got the deep hate Manning and, and Tom Brady. You couldn't convince them they were better than Otto Man, Otto Graham's better than that guy. Yeah, Otto <laughs> Graham was like You know, but that part, he stayed rigid with uh, the, to the day he passed away. God bless him.
1: Well, you know, I still I, I'm I'm a little bit of that way. I still have a hard time saying that anybody's better than Joe Montana. So I'm finally starting to have to like side with Tom Brady. I think when you when you have more rings than you than you have on one hand, uh, I mean, you kind of you you got to relent, right? At some point, you you can't
0: continue to be stubborn. I, I think Brady's. I know in my lifetime, uh, I can't talk about auto because the the game is right totally it's different. Yeah, Ram played. Uh, I really didn't see Jim Brown. I've seen him, you know, on the film, Uh, but um, you know, to me, Brady is the greatest player of our lifetime of what he's been able to do. And he's got the rings to prove it, you know, and and he's not only done it with one team, he's done it with two teams. So that goes to show you a little bit of, of of the talent there. And I always thought Jerry Rice, uh, Lawrence Taylor, how much he changed the game for sure. Uh, He was unbelievable to watch in the 80s and how feared he was as a player. And God bless him, too, man. Reggie White. What an unbelievable Reggie White was. And uh, Bobby's got a story about, man, Reggie pounded him twice in that uh, Eagles game. game. Yeah. Yeah, when they got beat. And he said, you know, Reggie was so quiet. And one time he just hits him and he slams it. And Bobby's like, man, it knocked all the, the breath out of me. And I'm trying to catch my breath. And he said, you know, he puts his hand out and he said, uh, Bobby, God bless you. God bless you. Uh, you're going to be okay tomorrow. <laughs> if I was tomorrow, then <laughs> I wouldn't get uh, out of today. But he said, you know, that was Reggie sort of needling you in his own way about, hey, God bless you, Bobby. You know, you're going to be okay tomorrow. You know, but today I'm going to give you hell. Uh, and that was that was Reggie, and he could take over a game for a defensive lineman like somebody I've never seen uh play that position. Just like LT playing that pass rush outside linebacker position. I've never seen any people try to compare others to LT. Is, I don't think I'll live long enough no, to there's, see
1: No, there's there's no other that, LT. There's there's no other LT. But I still wonder, Mike though, what what would have happened if Tom Brady if Tom Brady got hit like Joe Montana, like they used to be able to hit when Joe Montana yeah. was playing. Had Tom Brady had, had to go through that, would he still be playing at 44? Would, would, if Joe Montana had the same rules as Tom Brady, would he have played until he was 44? Those are questions that can't be
0: answered. Uh, no, it can't. And it's always the what if. Uh, the one thing I do say about it, you know, because he did have the back and then he had the elbow injury. Uh, Would that have not happened being hit? I I don't think so. But I think today players at that position have more longevity. But they make so much money, do you want to play in parties? Uh, Now, some guys do. The competitiveness of them (sighs) do. And it happened with Brett Favre. Drew kind of went out through that particular door to Warren Moon who still, to me, he throws the best pass I've ever seen a quarterback throw. Man, Warren, that the ball never moved. It was almost like a straight spiral. Anytime he threw the football, um, people talk about George Blander, but what I remember about George was he was really more of a kicker in his yeah, 40s. You know, right. he, he was a backup. Like, he wasn't doing this every game. He was a backup, and he was a kicker. To see what Brady's doing in his 40s is unbelievable because uh, that... I don't think you're going to see many guys do today just because of the amount of money they can make in their 20s and 30s. Do I want to continue doing this? you got to be a special guy to want to do that. And injuries caught up with Peyton the exact same way. And uh, he had told me this at Manning camp. You know, everybody talked about his arm. And he's like, Mike, I I never worry about my arm. He said, you know, what you lose uh, as a player as you get older is your strength from the waist down. You know, those power passes that, right. and you got hips and your lower body thrown into it. And he said, That's what you lose as you get older. You look at Brady, he can still power. He had those lost people. the thing. And it's, it's like, you got to be kidding. It's insane.
1: Me. It's insane. And look, I, I, I've said throughout his career, I thought I, I'd never called him the goat. I, I you know, I, I'm stubborn. I think Joe Montana, did, you know, maybe it's my nightmares as a kid growing up and then a teenager and watching Joe Montana do to the Saints what he did twice a year. Maybe that, that's what it is. I don't know. But I mean, you can't deny a dude's 44 and he, he looks better than he looked when he was 25 or 30 years old. It is insane
0: yeah and you just wonder, you know, I know he goes through a different regimen than most uh his diet certainly is different than most uh and and that's certainly a big part of it. He did have one major injury to the knee. Now he's fortunate he can kind of knock on wood that that that's on, that's been his only really major one, but um man, when the man upstairs constructed him,
1: there's no doubt. <laughs>
0: He did one. We, no, mom and dad had something to do with that, certainly genetically, but that—that's some God-given talent, and also the ability to long and to be motivated for that long. Tom today is every bit as motivated as he was before he won the first one, and, and that, just, that's a lot different than most athletes. Today. And
1: just to think, if if Drew would have retired just to think if drew had retired one year sooner and I'm not saying he should have or he shouldn't that that's his own personal decision. I'm not questioning Drew's decision, but had drew retired one year sooner, I think Tom Brady would have been wearing black and gold.
0: I agree. I think that that was no doubt. And I think you hear more and more of it, uh, that the outreach was there by the saints and Sean Payton to Brady. Brady was open to that, uh, in this type of offense. Uh, I am a big believer That, you know, when Drew says, and I think Drew wanted to come back. I think maybe family members wanted him to retire, and he debated it and said, you know what, I'm going to play one more year. And and this ended like that. But had he retired, I have no doubt Brady would have been wearing that black and gold. But, you know, that's a lot of what-ifs in the world uh, on on what would have happened. I know it certainly changed the trajectory of the Tampa Bay Bucks franchise and, and what it did for Bruce Arians, uh, you know, cause Bruce, I remember Bruce when he was here with the Saints and uh, Jim Moore got fired and Rick Venturi takes over. And I talked to Rick at that time. He's like, man, yeah, Mike, you know, I don't know anything about offense. I'm a defensive coach. So I'm going to turn everything over to Arians. He's going to run. And he see you know, first practice, he's running uh, tight end screens, reverses, all this stuff. And he's like, he didn't have that term, you know, risk it, you know, for the biscuit and everything else. He didn't have that term, but he said, I I see where he got it from that he just wanted to throw the football downfield all the time, how Bruce changed his offense and sort of gave it to Tom and said, okay, I think you know how to do it better than I do. Go ahead and, and run your offense. That took a lot for a head coach. Not a lot of guys' ego would have swallowed that and said, "Eh, you're going to do it my way. But Bruce was smart enough to know what he had, and he sort of let Brady run that same New England offense in Tampa. It took him a little while to get it all cranked up. Uh, But you see today uh, the the results of that. And we're going to look at Bruce Arians differently 10 years from now than we would have, you know, pre-Tom Brady.
1: Well, if it wouldn't have been for Tom Brady, I'm not sure that Bruce Arians would still be in Tampa Bay. I,
0: I think he would have retired by now, and I still don't think Bruce is long-term in, in Tampa. He's already made that comment. You know, I'd like to ride off in the sunset. And um, so,
1: What better know, way to do with two rings?
0: Yeah, uh, man, uh, I won the Powerball here. Yeah, right. Really. <laughs> I won the Powerball. And God bless her. Uh, uh, she passed away last summer at Gate Culverhouse. Her dad owned the, the Buccaneers. He was the first owner before they sold it to the Glazers. And Gay was like, Mike, I really believe, you know, once they signed Thomas, she said, I really think he is going to bring a championship to Tampa. And I'm like, Gay, man, that, that, that's a pretty stretchy deal there. She says, no, there is something about certain human beings. And she said, let me tell you something. And it stuck in my mind. She said, males don't like to hear this. But there are always somebody better, more talented, more skilled than you are. And she said, males don't like to accept that. She said, females, they might accept it, but they kind of kick about it. She said, but males really don't want to accept the fact that one other male can change the course of history and time and everything else. And she said, I really think Brady is going to be that guy. She passed away last July, and she didn't get to see it. But she was dead right. One, yep. about the male and, and admitting that that guy is better than everybody else. And secondly, he did change the mindset, the trajectory, the course that the Bucs were on before he got there.
1: The only thing that would have been weird is had he would been wearing black and gold. I think it would – and after it was over, I would have it would have hurt my heart had Tom Brady come in here and won two Super Bowl championships and Drew Brees uh only had one. That'd have been I don't know, man. I don't know how I would have felt about that.
0: I would have said, Hey Drew, God bless you. Thank you for what you did. And man, really God bless Tom Brady for giving <laughs> Louisiana, the <laughs> media and everything, two championships. No, I wouldn't I wouldn't have squawked about that. Believe me. <laughs> Have a certain bond when you win a championship. That bond that you have won that stays with you in that community to the day you take your last breath. I and mean, I just, think that people sort look like I drew it that, that he was such a big part of that. And they're going to look at Sean that way. Now, some people always got a constant complaint. Uh, and so, okay, I, I get it. They haven't been good in the playoffs. But I think that that Super Bowl bonds you together uh, in that sort of manner. That uh, Like no other, nothing else in sports. You can be uh, an MVP. Uh, you can go to numerous Pro Bowls or uh, you an all-NBA type player or Major League Baseball. But when you win a championship, that is something that stays with you forever. I think there were people like that at, at LSU with Les because Les had won a national championship. And they were going to be behind last no matter what. And even though he didn't change with the times, you know what? I think it will be the same way with Ed. I I think he'll always, his legacy is that 2019 season and maybe the greatest college football season ever by a a respective team.
1: I agree 100% that was the best college football team, at least in my lifetime. And you talk about the Saints and people are still driving around 12 years later with their license plate uh mine is uh starting to fray i got it's it's like i don't know how to even get a new one it's like but the edges are coming up on it and i'm not taking that thing off my car it's it's the saints won a super bowl i don't know if they're going to win another one in my lifetime i hope they do but we don't know if they're going to win another one in my lifetime so you you live in the moment as long as you can
0: i'm a big sports collector and i have every times picayune from the day after when they won, won that year. Now, um, I'll have to expand my house to put everything in because I've accumulated quite a bit of stuff throughout the years. But that is something that I would like to do, just display all that. We can, every week, you know, and, and you there's a story to be told in every game. Uh, and so, um, you know, one day, uh, you know, because I'm fixing to get thrown out of this one if if I put any more sports stuff out there. (laughs) Uh, They're not, I got a nice house, but you know, I would have to expand it like double to put all the other stuff that that part, I will always remember 2009 uh, because of that run. And the fact that never done it before. And, uh, man, you know, cause I thought, you know, you know, I worked all those years with buddy and how he had talked about, you know, Everybody remembers he said about wearing the dress and that sort of thing. But I think, you know, for him and, and Peter Finney and and those guys that covered this team from day one, to see all the bad football that they saw and what we saw at one time—that's a generation of Saints fans who don't understand how bad this team was 60s, 70s. You know, they they maybe caught it in the mid 80s. And, you know, Jim Moore comes in, they start winning. But if you're a fan from a little farther back, uh, that's the guys that I thought of. I thought about my dad, uh, who, was, who was really ill at that time, and, you know, how many games we went through. Now, uh, you know, they're going to change, you know, they're going to get better somewhere down the line. Well, I had to live quite a while before I saw the change. And what's Sean Payton do to get, give you that? He really was the catalyst to that. Uh, to piecing together these teams and so much joy, so much happiness when you win, you know, and yeah, you disappointed and You might bitch, uh, you know, when they, you know, not might, you do, uh, we all do, but you know, that so much of joy and happiness comes through sports. And one thing I know Dilberto always told me, and he told me this the day after nine eleven. he said, you know, sports is going to be the ointment for this country. Yep. Yeah you know cuz we're going to get back to playing sports and it's going to be the soothing ointment and he was absolutely right now i've got a neighbor who could care less about the saints okay uh-huh. his big thing is uh if it's LSU baseball it's basketball you know, you know, football you name it it's LSU. how i knew i thought the saints would win it in 09 okay they're playing the patriots it's a monday night game yep. and the weather's going to be warm and then get really cold. So we do in pre-game, post-game outside. So I'll leave a little bit early. And as I'm passing, he is cutting grass, which was unusual because it was sort of the fall. He's cutting grass. He's got a little windbreaker on. And when I get close to him, he does me like this to stop. He rips that windbreaker open. He got a damn Saint shirt on. <laughs> I've never seen him a Saint shirt in his life. And he's got it on. And that's kind of etched in my mind that this guy who lives purple and gold and, and for everything, and if you started talking about the Saints, I'm not Saints, man, I don't want to talk about that. Talk about LSU, okay? Um, and he was wearing that that Saints shirt that day. And it's etched for me that that moment to see him cutting his grass on his Kubota, you know, <laughs> and he's got the, uh, the Saints shirt underneath his uh, – is a windbreaker.
1: I knew it was a big deal when my, wa- my, my wife sat down and watched the entire NFC championship game and the entire Super Bowl without going off and doing something else. That's how you, I knew it was big and Mike, I still, I'm not ashamed to say that I was balling crying when Mike Lansford kicked that field goal with his ugly bare oh, foot. Yeah. I'm still crying. I, you know, I still, I'll, I'll admit it. I don't, I was on my floor crying when that happened and, I'm I'm okay with it, and, and I hope I never meet Mike for in well, person.
0: I'm never going to be okay with it because that's a game the Saints should have won, and Bum Bum should let you know Bum let that game get away, and I think that really ended Bum's career. I, I think oh I think it killed him.
1: I, 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 mean, I think it, they, they, it it made him heartbroken. Um,
0: yeah, and so I, I think it sort of ended it for Bum, but uh, I'm never going to get over Langsford's kick, <laughs> you know, because that would have given you your first, you know, I don't know how far did have went in the playoffs, but you would have gotten there. And, you know, Bum laid a lot of the groundwork uh, for when Jim took over and, and yes. certainly he able to get some of those USFL guys. and Sam Mills, man, unbelievable player. Juan Johnson. And yeah, and they had gotten Bobby the year before. But, you know, Bum laid a lot of the foundation for that team. And Bum was it. a terrific talent evaluator. He, you know, but at the end, I think he wanted to win so bad that he didn't trust his instincts through the draft. And then he would go out and get veteran players. And he traded for Richard Todd. they traded for Earl Campbell. And they were on the back end of that career. I think he, he just he felt at that moment, I need to bring – a playoff team in New Orleans, and I'm going to do what I have to do. And he made some wrong choices along the way.
1: And don't get me started with Leon Gray. I'm still pissed off at him for, for that trade. I mean, Archie Manning should have been a saint until the, the day that he said, I don't want to play football anymore. Archie Manning never had a winning season. Had they had Baum not made that trade and Archie Manning was the quarterback instead of Kenny Stabler, who couldn't even walk at the time. I think this would have been a team that would have gone to the playoffs and we wouldn't have to worry about a Mike Lansford kick, but yeah,
0: a lot of what ifs, uh, but uh, you know, the amazing story one day is going to be the book on the bannings. I mean, I know that's been one written, but now you got another generation yes. of, of one. And uh, you know, uh, man, you know, you, you know, you hear it a lot of times in politics, the you know, blood thins as you, you know, you get different generations but to have two sons go to Super Bowls and win, and now you've got a grandson, the most highly recruited player in the country, is amazing, because is. work ethic and focus and attention that you have to have to do that is unbelievable, just unbelievable, and so I'm proud for Archie. I'm glad for him. him and I work together at Thibodeau Regional Medical Center as sponsors, and and, and spokespeople for them and, and, and being involved with the Manning camp and, and seeing how that's grown throughout the years, because that's really been a super game changer for the state of Louisiana and southern Louisiana in a period of time in July when it's really kind of a dead period. Yeah, And see 1,200 kids from all over the world come here and you know, get mentored by some of the greatest quarterbacks in college football and the Mannings. And so really been special.
1: Well, Mike, I will tell you that um, I'd like to have you on an, at a, another time before Good. football season's over. But if if it does, if for some reason it doesn't happen, I definitely would love to have an off-season show where you and I just talk about history. And I don't care if people yeah. don't want If people aren't that interested, that's fine. But I think you and I could talk about history for for a while, and it'd be a fun show. So
0: for the young kid from being the young kid on the block to the historian. So so I, yes, I get it. So my hair color kind of, kind of tips everything off, but uh, yeah, it's, it's all good. And uh, i it's my pleasure to do it today, and I appreciate you asking me. Well,
1: I can, be, I can still fool people because my hair, this is not dyed. I'm, it's actually still a dark blonde, only by the grace of God, but I'm a lot older than I look, so trust me. Mike Detoye. thank you so much. I thought it was going to be a 30, 40-minute interview. It turned into an hour and a half, and there wasn't a dull moment in the whole thing. Thank you so much for joining the Datitude podcast.
0: Thanks so much, brother. I appreciate it. Thank you.
1: We'll talk to you soon. So we're going to set a record for the length of this podcast. I mean, but I I wasn't about to end it prematurely. I mean, it was just a wonderful interview. So I thank Mike for taking his time out. Before we go off the air here for episode 11, I do want to talk real quickly about, I'm going to tell you my pick for Thursday Night Football. Broncos and Browns. Two teams that are in a bit of a pickle, in a mess. This is a big game for these two teams on Thursday night. Um, You know, the Broncos started three and zero. They're three and three. The Browns are now three and three after getting shellacked by the Arizona Cardinals. We'll get to that in just a minute. But I want to touch on baseball again. I'm telling you, you you people who are just football fans, and you got to watch baseball in October. Yesterday was insane. I mean, what the Dodgers were able to do to come back against the Braves, Cody Bellinger, who's been awful all season long, him and his 190 batting average, Where, wh- how come he can find his old self when it counts most? But the Dodgers sure are glad that he did. And, uh, you know, I'm a, I'm a little... Look, if I had my druthers and I got to pick who was going to gonna win the World Series... You'd have to pick Atlanta. And I know they're Atlanta, and people don't want to hear that. They're Atlanta. Can't root for Atlanta. But in this case, the Braves are a, such a fun team to watch. You had to feel for them yesterday. But, you know, the betting world is so weird. You, the Dodgers, who were favored to win the World Series, just, I don't know, a few days ago, even though they had to play the wild card match with the Giants and they lose two to the Braves, and now you can get them on. Uh, you could have got them yesterday, before yesterday, and I haven't looked this morning. So you know what? I'm going to put this on while, I got, while I'm talking here. But you could have had them yesterday at 175, minus, uh, plus 175, which means that you got to plop down $100 to win $175 for them to win the series, and which is insane. I don't care if they were down 2-0. Oh, they hadn't played a home game yet. And you could have had them to win the World Series. I think it was plus 330 or in that ballpark. Another insane deal. So now, so I went and put a little, I'd already had something on the Astros, I already had something on the Red Sox to win the World Series. So normally it doesn't make sense to, to pick three of the four teams, better bet than three of the four, but in this case it did. I'm in a position now to where if the Astros, Red Sox, or Dodgers win the World Series, I'm going to win n- not a. You know, I'm not going to win a ton. But I'm guaranteed to win a decent amount. Okay? Guaranteed. If it's the Dodgers, Astros, or Braves, off of one victory, the odds have changed so much. The Dodgers are now a 125 favorite to win the series. They went from plus 175 to minus 125, basically off the one swing of the bat with Cody Bellinger. That's insane. And now the Braves are... Plus three thirty to win the World Series. Maybe I ought to go put money on them too, and then I can't lose, right? I mean, I think I'm in. A, I may have to figure out the math, and I'm have to certainly have to do it with a calculator. But I may be in a position where, if I put a little money on the Braves, I cannot lose. It's all about when you make your bets, okay? That's what this is all about. And then the Astros last night getting the benefit. The umpiring has been horrendous, okay? Maybe not throughout entire games, but there have been significant. Blown calls that have cost teams. Whether the Giants would have come back, the check swing call, who knows? But they would have had a chance to. Last night, game number four, Red Sox have a chance to go up three games to one. Right? And clearly strike three with two outs in the ninth and two strikes. On the 9 hole hitter for the Astros Clearly strike three The Red Sox are desperate They got their ace in there, Nathan Iavaldi. And he throws strike three The umpire whip missed Calls it a ball doesn't, doesn't really call it anything And you could predict What was going to happen after that Sure enough, base hit, floodgates open Astros win nine and two It looks like they kill him. And it was anything but. It was, it was a shame, really. I mean, look, I, I know, I mean, anyone who knows me knows my dislike of the Astros, and it's probably because for them being in the same division with the Cubs for so long, um, I'm not an Astros fan. I do have money on them, so if they win, I, I have a financial interest in them. But I don't care. If it would have happened the other way around, I would have felt the same way. I mean it it changed the not only did it change the game and obviously who knows what the Red Sox would have done in the bottom of the ninth the Astros may have won anyway but we'll never know and you can make calls like that or no calls like that just even saying no call makes me shiver it has repercussions and consequences so we'll see if it gets better we'll see if the Red Sox can bounce back and we'll see if the Braves can bounce back uh Big game today, National League game on at 7 o'clock tonight on, I believe, TBS. The American League Championship Series continues on FS1 at 4 o'clock. I believe Game 5, the Astros and Red Sox. The Astros are a minus-130 favorite. The Dodgers are a minus-125 favorite to win there. Uh, Again, Game changing, series-changing games tonight, and I think, I truly believe that the winner of today's games, whoever they are, Astros, Red Sox at 2-2, Braves up 2-1 to on the Dodgers, whoever wins today's game is going to win the series. So that's my prediction. Uh, yeah, I'm going on, on a big limb. Lastly, before we end the show, Thursday night football, Broncos and Browns. Browns are in a tough spot, man. Again, like I said earlier... Now it's announced. There's no Baker Mayfield. They don't have Nick Chubb. They don't have Kareem Hunt. Um, they're in a world of hurt. Uh, let's see if the uh, if, if Baker Mayfield has changed this line. It was three and a half yesterday, um, and right now, yep, it's going down again. It started at four and a half, went down to three and a half, and now apparently Baker Mayfield only makes the difference of a point and a half. So, but even though the Browns are favored, they shouldn't be favored in my opinion. They're going to have to win this one de- with defense. I love the under, which has dropped all the way to 41. I still like it. I think that um, it's going to be a struggle for both offenses. Teddy's a little banged up as well for Denver, but I'm going to take the Broncos if I had to. It's probably more of a no-play, although I'm I'm more inclined to play it now that than Baker's going too. Uh, Denver, a two-point dog. Uh, you can get him on the money line for plus 110. I think the but the problem is that. Aunt Mabel and Drunk Joe are also going to be on the Broncos, I would imagine. Uh, It wasn't that way as of yesterday, but I think now that could be the thing that turns the tide. That line, if you want Denver, I I think you better take the dog now. But who knows, I've been wrong on that before. Anyway, that will be my official pick. I've already picked it in my picks column this morning when it was still three and a half. I got myself quite a bargain uh, at three and a half. That is going to wrap it up again. Five-star Friday coming up. Uncle Big Nick will make his debut, I promise, this time. Along with Conductor Dave, we'll see how we're doing in our little contest together. Um, Tennessee certainly didn't hurt winning last week. That helped me a lot and also changed my outlook and made me happy, happy, joy, joy. We'll try to stay that way. So we'll have five-star Friday coming up, talking about nothing but the betting world and what you should look to towards this weekend if you're not a better. Hey, who am I to tell you not to listen to the show? Because we are going to do our previews and telling you who we think is going to win, so if you're interested in that. But it's really going to be all about the best bets for the weekend and what we think. So we will see you on Friday, and then we'll have shows again next week, Monday, Wednesday, and Friday, which is where we are. So I thank you once again for joining the Datitude Podcast. Episode 11 is in the books. I swear it's going to get cool again, and these dreary blues and the rain will be gone. We love you all. Peace to you, my friends. Enjoy baseball and Thursday Night Football. We'll see you on Friday.